you know, this time of the year, uh, we, uh, we're very familiar with the biblical story of what happened to Mary and Joseph. And, you know, here there are these two young teenagers, right? The angel appears to Mary and um, tells her that she was going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. We're all there? We all understand? We all know that part, right? Right. And then simultaneously or shortly after, God appears to Joseph in a dream. And God begins to speak to Joseph in a dream, and he tells them a number of things. And he says, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. Your wife is going to give birth to a child, and uh, his name is going to be Jesus, and, and so on and so forth. And the Bible does tell us that Joseph had considered in his heart to actually leave Mary quietly because he did not want to disgrace her. But there's something that happened that day. And, and in this scripture that, that I'm going to share with you, Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, When Joseph woke up from this dream that he had, there's something, and I put it in italics so you say, see exactly the focus on it. It says, he did. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home to, as his wife. Now, I think of this story. I often think of man. I'm like, if that, if I was the, like, you know, you, you hear the, the, the story, you read the story in the Bible and you hear of it and you think, okay, well, wait a minute, where's dad and mom in this case? You know, like, did they ask for permission? Is that okay? The, is this all right? Like, what's going on in that side of the story, right? I'm, I'm an Italian dad. I'm like, if my daughter's like, going to slap that boy out real good. But, you know, there's no mention of that. Nothing. Instead, Joseph did exactly as the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. You know what the Holy Spirit was reminding me that, uh, just this week as I was studying that? Because that's a very important part. Because you know what? When God speaks to you and God shows you things and God sows a seed in your life, you don't want to mess the seed of God with your own seed. That's a little freebie for some of you. You probably have to think about it a little bit. But you know what? God's looking for purity. And so he, Joseph, gave him, the boy, the name Jesus. Now, I know that we all think of this story, or at least we have maybe heard around, you know, this story around this time of the year. Christmas is very popular. And the key point that I want to share with you this morning is the concept of the fact that Joseph did what the Lord commanded him. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this gentleman by the name of Reuben Archer Torrey, or commonly known in all of his books, R.A. Torrey. And in his book, Anecdotes and Illustrations, um, he 
says this, and, and R.A. Torrey was a, an evangelist, a pastor, he was an educator, he was a writer, and he actually was, some of you know Moody Bible College, he was the second president of that college. And um, in this book, um, uh, he gives this story, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, during our Dublin campaign, or Dublin campaign, a young man came to me in great distress. And he had been paying attention to a young lady. I love the way that it is phrased in the older language. He had been paying attention to a young lady who was very worldly. He had been brought up under Christian influence, and his mother, being an earnest Christian woman, he told me, that is, a young man told R.A. Torrey, that the preceding Sunday evening, he had been called upon, he had called upon the young lady in whom he was interested. Though it was Sunday evening, the girl's mother proposed that they play cards. The young lady's mom urged him to join the game, but he refused. He said to me, when I was invited to play cards on a Sunday evening, the thought came to me, what if I should and my mother should hear of it? It would break her heart. He goes on to say, how many a man is kept back from doing things he would otherwise do by the thought of how he would grieve his mother if she should hear of it. But there is one who is more keenly sensitive than the purest mother, who is grieved at the slightest departure from the path of the right, as no mother is even grieved, that one is the Holy Spirit. He goes with us wherever we go. He sees all that we do. He hears all that we say. Yes, he sees the most secret fancy of the heart. And if there is an act or word or thought that has a faint of impurity or selfishness or sin, he is deeply grieved. To me, this is one of the mightiest incentives to a careful walk. Finally, he says, oftentimes, some evil thought is suggested to me by the enemy. The thought comes. I cannot entertain that thought for a moment. If I do, the Holy Spirit who sees it will be deeply grieved, and I cannot bear to grieve his present faithful friend. I was astounded by the simplicity of the words and yet by the depth of the reality of the fact that we can so easily grieve the Holy Spirit. In Thessalonians chapter 5, I don't put it up yet, uh, verses 16 to 20, Paul in this final exhortation to the church, gives us some very important words to remember. And I, I picture these words as a father is perhaps talking to his daughter or her son going to camp, summer camp for the first time. And, you know, if you've had children that have gone to summer camp for the first time, you know, some of the things that you want to tell them, make sure that you hang out with the right people. You know, don't eat too much candy. Don't have too much sugar. Don't, uh, you know, don't swim in the lake by yourself. 
You know, watch out for that boy. Watch out for that girl. You know, all those recommendations that you give just before you send them off, right? When this is what Paul is doing here. Look at these verses. In verse 16, he says, rejoice always. In verse 17, he says, pray continually. In verse 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for, but in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And then, in the midst of this verse, there's this little couple of sentences that have struck me, and God has been speaking to my heart now for weeks about sharing this with you. And it says this, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. I think these are some of the most power-packed verses of the New Testament, quite frankly. In verse 19, I would say that it's probably one of the saddest verses of the New Testament because it is right here that you actually can't see how we, with a lackadaisical spiritual attitude and walk with Christ, we can very easily quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Joseph received a word from God in a dream. Mary had the appearance of an angel. They said yes to some of the most incredibly strangest things that would, I mean, you just, it's incredible, right? Put yourself in their shoes. Would you say yes? Absolutely not, probably. I don't know. Unless, you know, the Holy Spirit would just enlighten you in some incredible way. But, you know, as you think about it in the flesh right now, thinking about the whole situation, you break it down and you say, man, I, there's just no way. There's just no way. Now, I want to talk about this concept of grieving the Holy Spirit today. But I want to make a few statements before so that we all understand what we're at. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not just a force or an entity. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is equally God like the Father and like the Son and the Holy Spirit. They form the Trinity. He is God, and he is God, period. Now, I tell you, we skate on thin ice theologically if we think that the Holy Spirit is just a little entity that comes and is with us sometimes in our services when we worship or when we get the goosebumps that we feel his presence and we feel the shivers. Oh, that was the Holy Spirit. No, it's, it's a lot more than that. The Holy Spirit is a person and he's a gentleman. He's not a something or an it. He's a person. He will not force his activity on any of us or his will on us. And I, although I would say that Although he does not force his activity on us, we all enjoy and are pleased when he blesses us, right? We all enjoy the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just speaking with other tongues or giving a prophetic utterance or having divine dreams or exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is so much more to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today I just want to focus on this little minute sentence that says, do not quench 
the Holy Spirit. Because you see, we can quench the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And by doing so, we limit the blessings that the Holy Spirit wants to pour upon us by our attitude toward him. God's desire is to work in each and every one of us by his spirit. But you know what we do? I'm going to maybe take a step down. I don't know if you guys can follow me with that. But this is what we do. I don't recommend that you do this at home. (laughs) This is what we do. Oh, don't fall off. There we go. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to ignite our lives, right? And so, you know, many times, you know, we, the fire of God just gets poured on us, and wow, you know, we feel the blessings of God. But oftentimes, it's just a, a little flicker, and then it's just like, we forget. But you know what? God is gracious and merciful. I don't know if some of you that cannot see me on that side. You know, God is gracious and merciful. Don't worry about the smoke. Hopefully nothing will go off. If not, call the fire department. And, you know, just he pours his spirit, and then he says, you know what? Oh, you know, they need more. And we pray for more often, right? We say, God, I I need more. We need more. We need more of your presence, more of your power, more of your glory, you know? But there's things, all kinds of things that that God wants to do with all of us, right? And we think, oh, yes, God wants to move. But you know what? At times what we do, we do this. We quench the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what that verse is actually saying. Quenching the Holy Spirit of God when he wants to pour the blessings of the fire of his presence in our lives. Now, this verse, in the original text, it actually, we read it as, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It would actually be better read saying this, the Holy Spirit, do not quench. The Holy Spirit, do not quench. It is almost a form of command that places the emphasis on Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench him. Or you might say today, how in the world do we quench him? How do we pour water on the fire of God in our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I'm going to give you some reasons and things that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about over the past few weeks. Is that all right? So, first of all, I think the sin. Sin is the big separator, is the biggest quencher of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 30 to 31 say this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he goes on to say this, let all bitterness, let all bitterness, look at the person next to you and tell them, let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In other words, he's saying there's absolutely no room for sin in your life if you are going to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, all kinds of malice, these are what we know are called the works of what? The flesh. They're the works of the flesh. They're not the works of the Spirit. Because the flesh will separate us from what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. You know, uh, I, I don't think that Paul mentions bitterness as just a haphazardly. Uh, in fact, I recently read a quote that somebody sent me about bitterness and how bitterness does not want to remain private. Bitterness seeks attention, it seeks validation, and it seeks justice. And the quote read this. I'm going to read it to you guys. Tighten your boots if you would because it's, it'll slap you across the face like it did mine. It says, for relational wounds, our tendency toward vigilante Emotional justice means that we want others to be offended with us. And so we form our posse and we deputize our friends by surreptitiously or secretively, quietly, baptizing them into a version of the truth of what really happened that unsurprisingly reveals our offender in a most negative light while we remain magically faultless. If we are skillful, skillful and subtle enough in our prosecution, the friends we employ will never know that they have become jurors in a trial, much less allies in a cause. And thus, the poison spreads. It's very sobering these are very sobering words. And I want to tell you that I personally have been involved in situations by other people that caused this poison spread in my own life. And I had to, at one point, say no more. And I think that when it comes to bitterness and anger and really all sorts of sin, it becomes a wall before us and God. And unless we are astute spiritually enough to say no more of that, it is going to eat your lunch and mine all day long. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to be free. And I believe that we need to get rid of the poison that entangles us and hinders, and, and hinders us from receiving the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? I think we quench the Holy Spirit when we create a rigid structure in our church services or even smaller group settings that does not allow the Holy Spirit to, and I put, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this word, to infringe on our plans by moving spontaneously. 
Let me repeat that so you get it. We create a structure that is so rigid that whether it's in the church services or in smaller gatherings, we just don't allow the Holy Spirit to move the way that he wants to move because it's just like, oh, I just can't handle that. It's too much. It's not in my program. You see, Ephesians 5 and verse 19 says this, and we know these words very well, and we quote them very well, but we don't actually always live them very well. And I think I would say that in most of the American church, we just don't live them well at all. And it says this, speaking to one another with what? With psalms, with hymns, with songs from the Spirit, sing and singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. We are encouraged as leaders in the church to actually allow the Spirit of God. And we encourage it from the Spirit of God, allowing you to be able to share from the heart. And we need to learn to move in freedom without fear. In the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19 and 20, it also says, do not despise prophecies. Now, when we quench the Spirit, it's because we are saying we're choosing to do it our way, not God's way. I don't need God's way. I'm just going to do it my way. We think that we're in charge. We think that we got it and we don't need God. Now, we really, truly do love to see God move through you within this body of believers. We want to be a family that where you feel comfortable to be able to share what God places on your heart. But let me also say this, and let me be honest for a moment. Can I be honest for a moment? Is that all right? That does not mean that you come to share what you want when you are more absent than present. That does not mean that you, you know, come once every blue moon and you feel that you have the right to come up and speak to the body. That because we, in the context of a family, understand that a family assumes responsibility. How many of you have kids? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we had a, a habit that my daughter is probably thinking, yeah, that was that beautiful young lady that was singing here in the middle. Uh, she's probably thinking, I know exactly what he's talking about. Because every Saturday morning, they all had their chores. Clean your room. All of them had to clean their room. And then we had bathrooms. You take one, you take one, you take one. We happen to have two and a half bathrooms. So they each took one. And the one that took the small, the half, would also have to do the garbage. That was always my son, who's not here. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, they all had their responsibilities. That was life. That is a life within the scope of a family. You have to contribute. You have to vacuum. You have to broom. You have to clean. You have to do what it takes in order for a family to grow and be a family. It is the same in the body of Christ. Because we are for so long, we've kind of treated church like, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to sit down and receive and just sing a couple of songs. And when it's done, it's done. I'll go home. Thank you very much. God bless you. See you next Sunday. We discourage that <laughs> in the nicest way possible. And that is not because we 
are trying to, you know, get you to do work that we don't want to do ourselves, it's because it's a family. Like, we are really wanting to be known as, you know, mission community, community, community. We want to be a community. We want to be able to, to, to know about what's going on in your life so that we can pray for you and with you and agree with you. And, you know, if like Dale and Fletcher are moving to, uh, to a different part of, uh, of the state, uh, South Carolina, unfortunately, not with a, maybe North Carolina would be better. Um, you know, they're moving, uh, but, you know, we want to know so that we can bless them in return. We want to bless family members. We want to be part of something that is greater than the part that we play. And that is why it is key for all of us to feel that, wow, you know what? I can be part of this. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this family. Yeah. Now, Equally, in the same way that we put up these, this rigid wall that does not allow God to move, you know what? The other part of it, the flip side of that coin, is that we also create a thick wall around our hearts so that we sometimes don't allow the Holy Spirit to infringe on our lives by saying yes to his leading. And so, you know, how many times, you know, we talk about it, Lawson and I talk about it all the time, you know, Many a Sundays, you know, we feel like God is saying something, but we don't actually step out in faith and do it. I can bet you any money that if I were to talk to my wife, you know, after the service, she'd probably tell me I thought about it 150 million times, or maybe 100, or maybe 15 times. Uh, but you know what? We go, we play inside of our mind, and we start thinking, is this good? I mean, does that make sense? Uh, should I just change the words? Uh, should I say something different? And then when we step out and we start thinking, oh my gosh, I said all the things that I should have said in the wrong way. I wish that I would have said this instead of that and the other. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. Because how many times do you parents have told your kids that maybe did not express their requests perfectly? Hey, it's fine. I understand what you're saying. You're good. You don't have to wait for a degree in English language and English literature to express a request to your dad or mom. So much the same way with God. He just looks for obedience. What is it that the Bible says? Obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. And we somehow think that if we sacrifice, if we give more, read more, worship more, 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 more of the things that we can do, rather than just simply being obedient to what God is saying in our lives, that God is going to be pleased with us. You know what? What if I make a mistake? Well, you might be right. You might make a mistake. It's okay. Get over yourself. I'm serious. You're not that important. Neither am I. You're not that key to the kingdom of God. You're just a member of it. And so it's okay for you to come up and say, you know what, uh, I, I have like this word is burning in my heart. Can I share it? Go ahead. What if it doesn't come out perfectly? That's fine. God knows exactly what the church needs. The bottle is in the mind. And that's why a mind that is submitted to the spirit of God is much more powerful than a mind that does its own thing. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? 
in connection to the mind is when we allow our intellect to rule over our spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6, it says this. Listen to Paul's argument. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God, who has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. I'm like, I need to read that verse probably a hundred times a day because I always feel very incompetent. But yet, you know, like I said to you, I got to get over myself too because my competence is in God by God and not by my own preparation or my own way of doing the same things. And it says this, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is like a confusing verse. Seriously. You know, how does the letter kill? Well, if you've been a minute around our church, you know that we believe and we are a word about word and uh, or a church about word and spirit and we have a logo. I don't know if we have it yeah there you go that's that's the logo that exemplifies what we believe word and spirit we are anchored in the word that's our anchor that's the word of God but we're also the kite we're free in the spirit but we're not so free in the spirit that we're going to fly to some stratosphere of weirdness right you know what I'm talking about just going to be honest. We are anchored in the Word of God. That means that we're going to do what the Bible says within the freedom that the Spirit of God gives us. Now, we believe the balance is important. It's necessary. Now, we're not perfect as a church. Let me make that clear. In fact, we're working, and we do the best that we can to, to stay away from unhealthy imbalances when it comes to this reality. But these verses seem contradictory because the letter kills. How does the letter kill? Well, the letter here is a reference to the law of Moses, right? And Paul is building an argument here. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. By attempting to follow the law, we discover one thing. And Paul says it through Romans as well. That because of our sinful nature, right, because we're sinful, we cannot, we don't have the ability in us to actually fulfill all of the law. And so if we can't fulfill the law, we are being dead. We are being killed by the law itself because we can't fulfill all of it. So the law itself becomes our own judgment to us. You understand what that's saying, right? So the law itself condemns us because we can't fulfill it completely. Disobedience to the law, in that sense, means death. And that's why Paul is saying, man, it is not by the law. It is not by the law. And we try to get our intellect around everything that is Bible. Oh, I need to understand what the Bible is saying. I, you know, is that in the Bible? Well, it wasn't in the Bible when Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, and healed that poor man's eyes. It wasn't in the law. In fact, it was a very rude way of healing somebody. I don't know about you, but if I'm sick and you spit in the dirt somewhere and you apply some dirt on me, I'm going to give you a kick. I don't know. I'm just saying. But I don't want nobody spit in my leg. 
But Jesus was out of the ordinary. And so you have to understand that the law, all of it, by itself, will not sustain you. It will actually be your own end. And that is why he's saying, oh, hey, wait a minute. The Spirit gives life. So if you heed to the Spirit in the midst of you obeying the Word of God, you know what? The Word of God has to be the guardrail for everything that we do. We don't, it's kind of like a bumping car, right? Like, you know, you, you don't go off. You have to stay within that circle, that square where the bump cars are. It's the same way spiritually. We want to remain within the confines of what this book says, the Word of God, because this is the foundation and the very roots on which we apply, apply everything that we believe in. But at the same time, we need to have the freedom to be able to allow ourselves to step outside and just start to say, you know what? God, you spoke to me. I'm going to obey. Remember, Verse 20, do not despise prophecy in connection with do not quench the spirit. The two of them go hand in hand. If you quench the spirit, right, in many ways, you by despising prophecies, you're quenching the spirit. That's what Paul is saying in there. There are two trains of the same track. Uh, the two tracks, sorry, that hold the same train, if I will. It's important to understand that. How do we do it? We need to surrender ourselves to when the Spirit speaks and do what He says. Finally, I want to finish with this. When we allow our, uh, we, when we allow our upbringing and our church traditions to have preeminence over biblical, spiritual realities, we quench the Spirit. I want to let that sink in a little bit. Because, you know, what? we all come from different backgrounds, right? Different church backgrounds. I was raised a Catholic. And I went into, I, you know, my dad got saved in a, I, I guess you would call it here a holiness Pentecostal church. I mean, the women were on one side, the men on the other. That's how I went to church for the first few years of my life. And I thought that was great. And I didn't question anything else because that was church for me. And you probably come from your own ways of seeing and understanding the Word of God because of the traditions that were imposed in your belief system. Now, friends, we are not called to follow a religious mantra. Church traditions will infringe on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we place them above, above what the Spirit of God says and wants to do. The fact that you grew up following certain church religious traditions should not prevent you. Notice, I'm saying should not prevent you. I'm not telling you your traditions are bad. I'm just telling you, don't let them hinder you or prevent you from seeking everything that the Bible has for you. Don't cheat yourself out of everything God has for you because you're so stuck in the way that you were raised. I hate for me to be so blunt and honest about it, but I'm just going to be blunt and honest about it. Because how many times, if you are truly honest with yourself, you have hindered God's work in your life 
And I have hindered God's work in my life because I had that preconceived idea that God had to move my way. That God had to do it my way. Rather than just surrendering to His way. I don't want to prevent God from working in my life by erecting walls that say, my way or no way. It's all about, in the end, your level of hunger and thirst. It's, it's you coming to a place in your life when you say, uh, you know what? I've done everything that I've known how to do. God, I don't know what else to do after this. I'm going to surrender to you. And you surrender and you let God work in you. In Acts, Paul 20, uh, in Acts 20, Paul says that he did not shrink from preaching the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. That's what we're talking about. We want to believe the whole counsel of God, and that includes not quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When we pick and choose what we want based on our church traditions or our spiritual preferences or our comfort level, what we're saying is, I know better than you do. But at some point, the Holy Spirit may look at you and say, hey, time to step out of the boat like Peter did and live out your belief. I think we all want to experience revival. We all want to see God move. We all want to experience everything that God has for all of us. We want to see people healed, delivered, set free. But you know what? That doesn't just come out of a wish or wishful thinking. It comes when we learn to pay the price of saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Just like Joseph and Mary. As we think about these two individual teens in this season, think of the fact that they were not just your traditional young couple that was expecting a child. No, this was a young couple that were put through the mill in order to receive everything that God had for them.